Hey guys, thanks for joining us at We're Starting a Cult, where we are in fact starting a cult. I'm your not-so-charismatic cult leader, Lori Baltimore. I'll be here each week exploring exactly what it means to be a human being, and how to be a good one, or at least a decent one. You know, today we're going to explore the idea of what it is we can know, and what exactly constitutes truth, Right? You know, we've got so many different interpretations of events and points of view available. How can we know what is right, right? Our beliefs compel us to act and our actions change the world. It changes the society around us, right? So we better be sure that we're right. But are we ever right? How can we know? What the hell are we supposed to be doing out here, right? So stay tuned, my cult followers. All right, this one's easy, right? You know, I can very easily tell you that there are things that I can know. That's what you're saying to me, idiot, Lori Baltimore. I know things, all right? Look at your clock. Look at the time right now, okay? Boom. You know what time it is. Easy. Or do you actually know what time it is, okay? Bear with me. Plato's theory of knowledge, if you heard of this, Okay, this is the kooky wacky stuff here, guys. We're, we're, we're off to a running start, okay? So Plato's theory of knowledge is called the justified true belief theory of knowledge, okay? It is one when you believe something, okay? You got to believe something if you're going to freaking know it, right? It's correct, okay? You believe something that is correct. And th- the third thing is that you have justification for this belief, right? So just like you looking at your clock... You believe it's 7.04, it is 7.04, and you have a reason to believe that your clock is not lying to you. So that Plato would say that that's a justified true belief, right? Well, it's not that simple, okay? There was this guy, Gettier. I'm not exactly sure when this guy came out with this. I think it was in the 60s. So Gettier had this uh, this thought experiment that he did where he said, okay, now imagine... You wake up in the morning, you go downstairs. Now you have this grandfather clock, okay? And this grandfather clock has never in the history of your life ever been wrong, okay? You go downstairs and you see that it says seven o'clock, okay? So it is seven o'clock. It is actually seven o'clock. Somebody comes to you and they say, hey, what time is it? And you say, it is seven o'clock. And it actually is seven o'clock. The only problem is that the clock stopped working last night at seven o'clock, okay? So you have a belief. Your belief is that it's seven o'clock, okay? And it actually is seven o'clock. And you have a legitimate justification for believing it because like I said before, the clock has never been wrong. So you've got a belief, the belief is correct, you have a legitimate justification for this belief. But my question to you, my friend, is do you actually know that it's 7 o'clock, right? Do you know that for sure? Or do you just have a justified true belief, you know? Is there a difference now? Are we showing and demonstrating that there's there's a difference between a justified true belief and actual knowledge? That's my question to you right? It's a little kooky, a little wacky, but that's a simple problem, right? This little ditty has been about stuff that we see and experience. This is small potatoes. So what about like theories about the world, 
mm-hmm. right? Theories that are like foundational to understanding the bigger picture. Stuff with a, you know, a lot more about life and our place in the universe. You know, like real monumental theories, okay? Not just about seeing what time it is. So let's think about uh, this, this problem here that we have with Ptolemy and Galileo. Now, back in the day, Ptolemy was the astronomer for Depopa, okay? And his whole thing was looking at the night sky and, you know, making it um, essentially match up to scripture. You know, it was his whole point to um, scientifically look at the world as an astronomer, look at our place in the galaxy, in the universe, and, you know, console it with the scripture, okay? So Ptolemy had his theory called uh, geocentrism. Now, geocentrism is when the earth is in the center of the universe and everything, including the sun, revolves around it, which today we do not accept, okay? What we accept today is called the heliocentric model of the galaxy, uh, and that is that the sun is, or not the galaxy, the solar system, um, and it is that the sun is in the center and everything else, including the earth, revolves around it. Okay, Ptolemy, uh, geocentric, earth in, in the center. Galileo, heliocentric, sun is in the center. Now, you're probably sitting there and thinking, yeah, what kind of idiot actually believes that the earth is the center of the solar system? Well, here's the very surprising thing, my friend, is that both Galileo and Ptolemy could mathematically prove their hypothesis. Both could, think about that, mathematically prove it. Two totally differing theories about the solar system, not even differing, opposites, okay? Stark opposites, but they can both mathematically prove that. Now, how the hell is that possible is what your question should be, all right? I'm gonna tell you. So, Ptolemy has his whole, uh, he's got his whole mathematical structure of, of how the earth is the center of the solar system and people are trying to verify it and they're finding it actually is working really well, but it's not quite matching up. Okay. Because they're looking at the night sky. They're looking at the planets and I can't remember exactly if it was Mercury or Venus. Um, but when they're looking at their rotation around the earth, they're finding that at some certain times it looks like it just stops the planet moves up a little bit and then moves back down and then it continues going and everybody's like what the hell is that about that doesn't make any sense right why the hell is this planet stopping and ptolemy's like oh hey sorry uh yeah that's that's uh that's my bad so um there's actually these things called epicycles, right? So the planets actually do a little loop-de-loop before they before they continue their circle around the Earth. And uh, people were like, oh, okay. So once Galileo added uh, this, uh, this mathematical, you know, hoopla in to justify and explain the epicycles, uh, it all was kosher. It all worked. Okay, it all matched up. Galileo, on the other hand, his theory actually accounted for this phenomenon, and he didn't have to add the epicycle in there. He didn't have to add an entirely new little part to make his theory work, right? So, so we get to um, the overarching principle here, 
and it's called Occam's razor. Now, Occam's razor is the idea that when you have two competing theories, you go with the one that has less variables. You go with the simpler one, okay? If you have to keep doing what they call ad hoc or just to just for the sake of the argument, keep throwing in new little things and be like, oh, you know, it doesn't quite match up, but if you just add this this thing, it, it saves the theory, right? If you have to keep saving the theory with more and more variables, um, Occam's razor says that it's less true than the one that does that is much more simple and eloquent. So that's what we did. We accepted the uh, the heliocentric model of the solar system. Now, so is that is that what the root of truth is? is simplicity and eloquence, right? Uh, is that, 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 that is, uh, is that the, the, the common denominator, like the ultimate criteria for truth in competing theories is whether or not something is more simple. I don't quite think so. I mean, like that's, it, it is itself pretty eloquent and simple to say that. I mean, like it works in a lot of instances, it works with Galileo and and, uh, Ptolemy, but when we consider a theory of say climate change, right? The simplest theory for climate change, the biggest climate change denying argument is that the climate has always changed and it will continue to change, right? Because Earth's climate and surface temperature relies mostly, very, very heavily, mostly on the activity of the sun. And, you know, we can look and we can see that the activity of the sun is raising and so is the temperature and what have you, right? So that's what they use. It's very simple, right? It's well, it's it's the sun. It's always been the sun. It's always been changing. It always will change. It's very simple, very easy. But on the opposite side of that, you have people saying, "No, there's you know, you have to look at uh, the the surface temperature of the Earth since the Industrial Revolution. You have to look at um, CO two, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, cow farts. You know, you need to look at um, everything that human beings have done to contribute to." climate change what you're doing is you're actually adding more variables there it's actually a less simple theory right i mean or is it that's up for debate right i'm just saying that we can't really we can't really just say that simplicity is we can't really just say that simplicity is the ultimate criterion of truth right all right well i mean Surely, I'm sure you're thinking, I can't have just made a podcast to pretend that people can't really know anything. You know, that would be probably idiotic. So let's consider something very, very simple, okay? So we can demonstrate that there is some truth in the world, okay? So I want you to look at the first thing you see. Tell me what color it is, okay? So next to me, I have a, a white desk that I'm just wrapping on here, okay? It's a white desk, it's a simple truth statement to say this desk is white or this dashboard is black or whatever, right? Boom. We've got a little bit of truth or do we? Okay. So that's really hard to contest is for me to sit here and say that the thing that you're, you're looking at that I'm not is not the color that it seems to be. Okay. That's a bit of a stretch, but what I'm going to ask you to do is prove it to me prove to me that this is black and i'll try to prove to you that this white desk is white so you say i say to you this desk is white well our friend socrates 
would have something to say about that. Now, Socrates uh, was probably the biggest asshole in Athens. Nobody liked him, and he was ugly. Nobody liked him, but somehow, like, the most important people liked him. Uh, It's kind of weird. Some people say he didn't even exist, but everybody pretty much always agrees that whether he existed or not, whatever he is or was even if he's just an idea very ugly everybody just knows that socrates was super ugly it's weird how even if he was just a figment of people's imagination and he's an amalgamation of a lot of different thinkers everybody agrees that he's ugly that's the weird thing and i think it's because nobody really liked him they called him the fly or the gadfly of athens okay so now anybody who ever made a truth statement to socrates was was uh in for a wild very annoying and tedious ride because all Socrates would do is he would sit there and ask you questions about what you said. That's called the Socratic method and it is an example of extreme doubt and skepticism. So now, this is what people in philosophy call the infinite regress problem. I'm going to try to explain it to you now. So if I say that this desk is white, the problem now is that if you wanted me to to prove it to you, like if you're saying prove it to me like I like I asked you to prove it, you could ask me to define a desk. And you could ask me um, to define white. And you could ask me to define what being something is, right? Because this desk is white. Now you could really get me to clarify what it means to is, to be. What is the quality of isness, being, right? So... At one t- at one point, I'm trying to um, describe and define one object for you. Now I have three distinct things that I actually have to clarify for you. So now you're like, prove it. Okay, this desk is white. Okay, well, what is a desk? Uh, well, just so that we're both on the same page, what is a desk? Okay, so a desk is like a... You know, it's like this high, it's like this wide, it's square. Uh, You set things on it, usually put it next to like a bed or like a a couch or you put a computer on it. And uh, then they go, you mean like like a bench, like a chair? Well, no, there's not a back on it. Oh, okay, so it's like a stool. No, 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 it's not a stool. Well, I mean, it's like a stool. Okay, well, let's get past that. Okay, so it is white. Okay, well, the desk is white or, or... the paint is white. Has it been painted or is it made of something that's naturally white? Well, you know, I guess it is wood. So yeah, it's it's white paint. So the desk isn't white. The, the, the desk has been painted white. What color is the desk? Well, it, it was brown, but now, I mean, like, there's white on it. And I don't really think you're going to get it off. But I mean, you could sand it off. Okay, well, let, let, let's that let, that's too deep. So, so, but you're saying the desk is white. So, so the desk persists as being white in the future. What does it actually mean to be, right? So, now every single time I try to explain further and clarify my terms as far as desk whiteness and isness being the desk being something, I'm defining three things which themselves are consisting of other concepts which you could keep asking me to define forever this desk is white a desk is uh, a thing that's this big you put it next to a couch oh you put it next to a couch what's a couch well like you could keep going in a million directions right just so that we are agreeing on the exact same terms because if you want to prove it to me for sure if you want me to agree with you i really it is on uh, the 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 um Oh, what is the word, Jesus? The burden of proof, my friend, is on you. 
And if you want me to believe what you're saying, you better clarify your darn terms. The problem is with the infinite regress or the infinite regression, uh, there's literally no stopping. There's no stopping the amount of terms that need to be defined. There's no stopping the amount of um, clarification that needs to happen for us to come to a mutual conclusion. Okay, that's the infinite regress problem is that when you make a truth claim, uh, you can ask questions forever. It's just like a little kid going, you know, the desk is white. Why? Uh, Well, I guess like, you know, people constructed it and then they painted it white. Why? Well, white is like a neutral color and a lot of people like furnish their houses after neutral colors because it matches anything. Why? Well, people like to have, you know, you can go on and on and on. And and why is just the simplest way to keep asking questions. If you really wanted to, you could make them define every term that they say. Right? So then, I mean, you, you, you can't really trust your eyes. Do you know even what you're seeing in front of you? Justified true belief doesn't necessarily seem like it's the absolute best end-all, be-all, you know, criterion for knowing something right? Occam's razor, simplicity is truth. You can have two mathematical theories prove the same exact thing or can prove totally opposite things. So you can prove X and Y. So are both true? Oh, Occam's razor comes on, onto the scene, right? So then you're like, oh, whatever's more simple. But is it, but simplicity is truth? I mean, I mean, but climate change. So what the hell is truth, right? How the how do we actually agree on or, or feel good about accepting anything as, tr- as true at all, right? Well, William James comes onto the scene, right? And he's got this whole thing called pragmatism. And he pretty much says that something is more or less true, whether it's useful to believe in it, right? So I might believe that an alien on Mars is making me fatter or skinnier, right? And that there's nothing I can do really to influence my weight or how I look because this alien is in total control of how fat or skinny I am, right? But then let's say one day I'm just like, well, maybe if I make a sacrifice to this alien and he's pleased with it, he'll let me lose weight. So I'm going to just sacrifice my comfort and I'm going to put myself in physical pain by going to the gym. And I'm going to see if this alien will make me thinner. And it it actually works. Like, it does make you thinner. And so then this person thinks there's an alien on Mars. It is controlling how fat I am, how skinny I am, whatever. But if I sacrifice my comfort to it, it will make me thinner. Now, it is true that exercise and diet actually will lead to you losing weight in most cases for a healthy person. But this person is not, you know, they're not thinking a true thing. Oh, I mean, or are they, right? Pragmatism would say that they're just more true than somebody who believed that, for instance, there was nothing that they could do. If, there was, if the same person believed that there was nothing that they could do to influence the alien to change their weight, they would be further away from truth than this person who just so happens to align his beliefs with what the actual truth is in a practical sense, in the sense that diet and exercise leads to weight loss, okay? So, you know, Neither are true. The latter is closer to truth. So it it actually gives them a more uh, reliable control over their weight, right? The overall overall reason isn't true, but the belief empowers them to have more control um, in their lives to to actually make like some real changes and have more control over over their world, right? This person's empowered by a totally insane and wrong belief, but it is more true, right? So let's consider something we don't know the absolute truth to, right? Like in cases where, 
you know, um, you're talking about politics or, or, or spirituality, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about something that you can never really truly know the answer to, you know, because if you're talking politics or spirituality, you're, you're having to believe in some very fundamental, um, concepts about human beings, uh, their place in the world, concepts of justice and fairness, equality, or not, superiority, if you're one of those people, right? So how do you know what's true? Well, it would seem that you would have to find whatever it is you already believed in and have to have faith. You'd have to have faith that a movement or a course of action was going to bring you the results that you wanted to see. But in all forms, anything that you wanted to believe in, at the end of the day, it's really just a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith that what you believe is right. Because most things you really can't prove. Right? You really can't prove that when you look at your clock right now, it didn't stop working 10 minutes ago. Unless you looked at your clock 10 minutes ago. But do you know what I mean? It's not even as easy as using mathematics to prove something. You know, if, if two people can mathematically prove the same thing, right? It's not that simple. And then you really just have to wonder, what the hell are you doing? What the hell do you choose to believe in, right? And I think that's why it's important to think about this stuff, right? So the whole point of all of this is really just to show that if you at least just know... I shouldn't say no. If you at least just realize, if you understand that there's really no way to verify, um, there's really no way to absolutely verify that you you actually can demonstrate absolute and true, definite understanding and knowledge, right? I mean, there are, I really could go on about like way more kind of complex ways to go about making this argument, but I wanted to just use some really simple kind of like surface philosophy concepts that you'd find probably in a philosophy textbook um, to kind of go over, you know, why you should be a skeptical person in general. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't humble enough, I think. You know, that's kind of one of the problems. I think maybe that's why, you know, uh, the United States as a country is so broken up. It's so polarized because people aren't really humble enough. They hate each other for believing in different things. And I'm not defending anything. I am, that is not what I'm here to do. But what I'm saying is that people wouldn't hate each other if they were humble about their beliefs and they at least held the opinion that they might actually be wrong about something, right? You can have conviction and you you can fight for something, but you have to, I think it's really healthy to at least understand that you might be wrong. Even if it's about one tiny thing, you know? And you wouldn't want somebody to judge you for being wrong. You've been wrong before. You're a human being, right? We all have been wrong. And to be judged for it to the point of hatred, I don't really know if that's constructive, you know? There there should be enough self-doubt, right? I mean, because you would want somebody you disagreed with to see the light, right? So let's say that you you are right. We'll say you're right about whatever you believe and there's an opposite side. Wouldn't you want that person to realize that the truth and essentially come over to your side 
Wouldn't the world be a better place if more people realized the truth and came to the right side? Well, at the end of the day, it's good for everybody, those people and you, to have a certain amount of self-doubt and think, dude, I could be wrong about this. I'm not going to burn down a Planned Parenthood because, you know, I could be wrong and what I'm doing could be wrong. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to firebomb a police station because maybe this isn't right. I don't I can't say I'm I'm so arrogant that I believe totally that this is probably the only way to do it, right? And I'm not this isn't me trying to underhandedly defend anybody. For real. Because the point that I'm trying to make is that there's enough reasonable doubt to believe that you could be wrong. And you won't learn anything if you are stuck in dogma. If you're stuck in a, dog- a dogmatic kind of belief system and there's no alternative, you'll never grow as a human being. You'll never grow as a person. I have, I mean, like, if you look at the people I've supported over time and things that I thought were right, I have 100% changed. I change all the time. I vacillate back and forth between things. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that that's good. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I look at things that I used to think or people I used to support and think, geez, Louise, what the hell was I doing? You know, I've grown as a human being. And in, in, in our cult, because like, you know, we are starting a cult. You're going to have to do that, right? Evolving as a person is going to be rooted in being humble enough to have self-doubt, right? And to not be overly zealous about the things that you have convictions about you know it's okay to fight for things like 100% fighting hard for them sacrificing for them but uh you know without a without any sense of self-doubt you might do something you regret you know what I mean Charlottesville for instance is something that comes to mind so keep it real guys I mean if you if you like this um I would say comment and subscribe, but I don't think you can do that on Anchor. I don't really know how it works, but, you know, give me a like. Um, Contact me if you can. You know, we'll talk. Um, So thanks for tuning in. Uh, Next time, I'm going to be out here talking about identity and what it means to be, you know, who you are. And if you exist at all, you know, I mean, this kind of looks like the theme, right? Is you don't know anything and you don't exist. So, um come back next week it's gonna be pretty it's gonna be pretty great um so keep it real have a good one and don't do anything stupid